Welcome to Policy Today. Thoughtful discussion of current issues vital to the future prosperity of Washington State. Produced by the Washington Research Council. Hi, welcome to another episode of Policy Today, a podcast from the Washington Research Council. This is Mary Strau. Today I'm joined by Lou Moore. Hi, Lou. Hello. And we are going to be talking briefly today about a new special report from the Research Council on Washington State's Growth Management Act. Um, it's about, it's a, a look at the act um, after 25 years of uh, being enacted. It was enacted in two parts in 1990 and then finally in 1991. And we've done a report that not only looks back at how it was enacted, gives a brief history, but also looks at all the components and goals of the act, um, looks at some case studies of um, of how things are going in Spokane County and Snohomish County. And then we also offer some recommendations uh, for adjusting the act and improving it. Uh, so, Lou, I'm going to hand it over to you. Well, thanks, Mary. Yeah, we're very excited about uh, bringing this project out to the public. It's been uh, several months in the uh, in development. We've talked to, I believe, 40 or 45 folks who have been directly connected to implementing or analyzing the act. And uh, Right, and those are people on all sides, people who aren't huge fans of the act, uh, people who are huge fans of the act, and then those who are just sort of there... I guess, I don't know if you'd call them neutral, but people who are involved in helping to Im implement the act. Absolutely. Some folks that go all the way back to the beginning, work for the work for the governor, and j yeah, just, just uh, folks from various walks of life that have something, uh, something of value to add about it. That's right. Um, and so why don't we start with... Um, well, I guess sort of, why don't, why don't you give some background just very briefly about how the Growth Management Act is structured and why, why it came about in the first place and why it's relevant today and what role it plays today? Well, the background of the act was a period of time where uh, the idea of uh, comprehensive planning and centralized planning was, uh, was very much in its heyday. And folks were looking at the idea that, uh, you know, uh, planning originated with cities and then it went to the county level. And there was an increasing belief that there needed to be uh, statewide coordination at minimum uh, and, and some standards uh, for counties to do their planning, as well as the, uh, the need in some cases like uh, Pierce, Nahomish and King counties, the metropolitan area around Seattle, that there needed to be reg uh, some level of regional planning. So uh, th that was the impetus for the act, as well as the fact uh, that the environmental movement was very strong at that point. Uh, and uh, there were a lot of people moving here. There was a, a more of a desire to protect uh, what, what is called in the act critical areas or environmentally sensitive areas. And at the same time, hundreds of thousands of people were moving into the state and particularly into the western metropolitan areas in Washington. And uh, the folks that were already here were concerned that the growth would not be unmanaged and uh, out of control. Right. That was sort of the, for those who um, either weren't old enough or weren't here at the time, that was, at least as far as I can tell, sort of the really the first big wave of um, in-migration to the state 
and real population increases that got that started to get people concerned. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, there's a number of elements uh, to the act, but uh, two of them that we focus on uh, are, are one, the idea that growth is to be, uh, in the main anyway, contained within what's called urban growth boundaries or within urban growth areas, UGAs, uh, that are established uh, in each county. And then secondarily, this whole notion of protecting critical areas and critical area ordinances that uh, occur both within uh, growth areas uh, in the cities uh, and without and in the countryside as well. And so those are the two facets of the act that uh, that we pay the most attention to. Right. Um, And it's fair to say there have been some considerable successes um, of the act and, you know, protecting open space and protecting resource lands. Um, but there have also been some some problems. Could you discuss sort of, you know, and in this report, I think we try to take a, um, we've obviously been very critical or quite critical of the of the GMA, certain aspects of it in the past. Um, but it's it's um, only right to point out the some of the successes that have happened. And then also to move in to some of the problems and areas where we see that there could be improvement. Sure. Well, uh, the, the Growth Management Act calls for the setting of side of resource lands outside the growth areas, outside the cities. And those are, are primarily for, uh, for agriculture, for forestry, and for mining. And that, that part of the act has been relatively successful because these, these lands have been uh, given these designations and uh, uh, there haven't been encroachments on those uh, for the most part. So that's been successful. Uh, open space just in general, uh, the, the, the fact that open space is mandated because growth is, you know, conversely, growth is mandated to be in certain areas and growth areas. So around those are more open space. So those those facets of the act have been relatively successful. Um, when you look, though, at a plan where uh, over you know, if you look at the uh, what the uh, Forterra has talked about in their Cascade Plan, uh, talking for about a hundred years of keeping almost all growth within these urban growth areas, and you look at population projections that are calling for two million more people right. to come into this area just in the next uh, period of time between now and 2040. Uh, there are going to be some pretty drastic lifestyle changes if we continue on this path. Right. That would require everyone going to live in little um, micro houses or high-rise apartments. And while that type of living arrangement may be attractive to some, it's certainly not um, to all. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, it would not be true that everybody would have to live like that. But what is no, true... No, I was, I was yeah. maybe exaggerating a bit. Yeah, I, I think you were. But... Uh, uh, but 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 while while that might be an exaggeration, uh, the fact is is the amount of buildable land uh, is uh, shrinking drastically in King County and uh, increasingly so in Pearson and Homish counties. And as the uh, inventory of buildable land shrinks, uh, the, the the basic supply and demand. Uh, dynamics of all economics uh, tells us that uh, housing is going to be less and less and less affordable. And we certainly see 
very strong evidence of that when we have a high demand uh, market for real estate right now. And uh, the planners are planning for a future where most of the housing units created will be multifamily, or in other words, apartments and condos. But most citizens, over 60% in all these counties, still want detached single-family housing or regular houses. And so uh, there's going to be uh, there's going to be a collision point here uh, down the road between what people want and what's being planned for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and as we've seen, you know, just recently in the news in the past couple of weeks, there have been stories, certainly in the Puget Sound region, of the on-fire housing market and, um, you know, multiple offers and home selling for way above their original asking prices. Um, and it's just, it's getting already right now um, less and less affordable for your average home buyer. Oh, um, so, you, so you can imagine with um, through 2040 an additional, you know, 2 million people moving into the state, that's, that's only going to increase. Yeah, no, that's true. And uh, you're asking me about areas where the Growth Management Act has fallen short. Probably the biggest area where it has obviously fallen short, for those of us that live in the Puget Sound region, uh, is in the area that the Act calls concurrency. In other words, that utilities and electricity and sewer lines and roads will keep up with development. And uh, uh Traffic, roads, transportation, that aspect has not in any way kept up with the development in the region. And we already have just bruising uh, congestion at many hours of the day and evening in various parts of uh, Seattle and areas around Seattle. Mm -hmm. And when you have this addition of population that's coming, I mean, it's unimaginable what we're heading into if there aren't some pretty significant changes made. Yeah. Um, So let's move into that. What what are some of the areas where you think adjustments could be made, could reasonably be made, um, that would, while still protecting our critical areas and our habitat and, you know, protecting the quality of life that so many people love here in Washington, um, while still accommodating this growth? Yeah, well, uh, when you talk about traffic, that is going to be a very difficult issue to deal with at this point. And uh, we didn't go into uh, into great length as to the solutions to the traffic uh, problem because they're they're complicated yeah, that's a whole and, different and, yeah, and possibly mm-hmm. not even existent. Unfortunately, I mean, as far as is is really solving. Uh, congestion, uh, but as far well, my daughter as, keeps telling me she wants to invent a flying car, so that may, <laughs> or jetpacks uh, that people can use, so that may solve uh, all our problems. Uh, yeah, yes, we we even talked about flying cars at the last uh, research council board meeting, but uh, fabulous. Uh, but uh, that's a little inside baseball. But uh, uh, I think in terms of making the act more workable, I mean, we're having issues right now where folks cannot build schools when the school district owns land that's right on the edge of an urban growth boundary. I mean, uh, I, I have to believe that there, there is a way that, that, that we, can, 
work that to where it's better for the community. Uh, the the whole affordable housing question, where we're we're lacking in supply, uh, I mean, we're going to have to make some allowances uh, to get people in a situation where there are more there's more affordable housing. And I think a pathway to doing that, and this won't be easy, because there's some there's some very entrenched folks out there uh, defending the Growth Management Act as it is in these growth boundaries as they are today but i think the pathway to that is to um is to uh find ways to do higher value mitigation projects or habitat projects that really bring more uh biologic diversity bring more potency on the bi biology side uh to those needs, to the needs of, of salmon and to make sure that we have enough clean uh, water, uh, we have clean water, we have enough of it. Uh, th those are areas where I think a concerted effort could uh, have uh, public dollars spent in a more efficient way. And if some of those public dollars were coming from the mitigation monies paid by developers, I think that might be a pathway to make some allowances here to where, where it could have some flexibility. Right, yeah, and the report um, spends a considerable, considerable amount of time on um, sort of the concept of smarter regulation. So not just sort of setting down, oh, you've got to set aside X much and sort of a cookie cutter approach, but really um, being more flexible and innovative not compromising, you know, environmental quality, but seeing where, as you said, the dollars can be best used for environmental protection to offset, you know, whatever development is happening. Um, and to focus on this, this mitigation and this protection in certain areas where it may be more beneficial and more of a boon to the environment than in than in other areas, uh, and just having that less of a cookie cutter, bureaucratic approach and more of a flexible, innovative, um, dynamic, open minded approach. No, uh, absolutely. And the key is, I mean, the, the defenders of the act have uh, rightfully have the concern if you start making too many adjustments to these boundaries which are pretty much ironclad uh, at this point um, that, that there's going to start you're going to end up with the death of a thousand cuts where sure. everybody's going to get some kind of an exemption and then right. pretty soon the integrity of the acts compromised but and that's uh, you know that's a valid concern mm -hmm. um, but it seems like uh, you know if they're smart thoughtful people on all sides, they could come up with ways to make sure that doesn't happen, that it's not death by a thousand cuts and a slippery slope where next thing you know, you know, you've got sprawl going all over the place and the environment being degraded. Well, I think the key is, is if you want an exception to the act, you have to bring something to the table. And, mm -hmm. uh, that, that, that also has value to society. So anyway, that, that, that's the direction that we point is in in this report. We make some recommendations, but they are discussion points. We, uh, we, we want to trigger a discussion around this state of how we can improve this act. Uh, and that's, that's their purpose. Uh, uh, you know, all of these, all of our recommendations need to be tested in the uh, in the public square. Sure. It's, um, it's just, it's good to have a starting point. And, you know, I think the 
the effort you were trying to make in this in this report was not nothing, no recommendations that were just too sweeping or too pie in the sky, but things that could conceivably um, be entertained um, by all sides, not necessarily that they would automatically be, you know, enacted into law, but just um, and thoughtful approaches. Yeah, I think we've come to a point, Mary, in the state where we've set out different policy goals, all of them good, but we need to rebalance our priorities and Mm -hmm. and rebalance these goals to a degree. I mean, we need to protect uh, open space. We need to Mm -hmm. uh, prevent sprawl, but we also need more public schools. We also need affordable housing. Mm -hmm. We also need industrial jobs. And so I I think... uh, I think we're coming into an era where some rebalancing can take place that'll be constructive. Yeah, absolutely. Now, now would be the time to do it um, rather than waiting until the um, deluge is upon us. Yes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> all right. Well, um, that is all for today. Thank you, Lou. We will be discussing this topic uh, further, probably bringing in some more um, experts um, from who have different perspectives. Um, And we will, of course, provide a link for our new report in our blog post. Uh, Thank you, Lou, for taking the time. And thank you to our listeners. Thank you very much. All right. Bye-bye. Policy Today is a production of the Washington Research Council dedicated to providing timely, credible research and policy analysis supporting economic vitality and private sector job creation. For more information, go to researchcouncil.org.